Hey guys, Dr. Greg here. I just had part two of the conversation with my good friend Dean Malstead, and you're going to learn of what tests to do, what tests maybe not to do, but if you do them, how to look at them more effectively, some things to do with your home, and some actual items for you. So stay tuned, you're in for a good episode. Hey guys, Dr. Greg here, back with episode two on The Daily Dose with Dr. Greg, and I am back with Dean Malstead. Uh, hopefully, if you haven't yet, listened to our previous episode where we talked about the steps of walking in with his amazing equipment and his eyes and his $150 flashlight. And we're gonna we're gonna just transition now because, so part of what got us really interested in some of this mold work is not only in the functional medicine world doing mycotoxin testing, um, and this, so I actually had an employee who, uh, whose wife was not well, like bags under her eyes and she was just not good. So we did this testing and her testing, and we can talk about this, came back with some of the stachybotrys components on it. Oh. And at that time, and, and I love learning and I'm learning everything today. I said, go do the ERMI test. And they did this, this ERMI test in their apartment and it came back high. They took that report to the property manager. They said, oh, no problem. You can get out of your lease. Um, and then who knows what they did to that next person. But so let's maybe talk about um, there's one of you. You are in Minnesota. You have a vehicle and can travel, but you're here. So but we have followed. We have we actually have listeners in Australia and yeah. all over the world. So if, if there's like, OK, so if you can't show up at someone's house. And there's, they have that gut feeling. So if, if you go back to the first episode, Dean talked about this gut feeling. If you have this intuition, this yeah. mother's intuition, when you're like, I am suspect, it's there. Yeah. We just need to figure out where it's at. Yeah. So Dean, if, if you're consulting someone in Louisiana and it just doesn't work for you to get there, and you're like, Here, if you were my child and you had my grandbabies inside of your house... This is, this is the, like, what would be the steps or the testing that you would have that person do? Yeah, so it's a very interesting question because it could go in a number of different directions. So the first thing I'll delineate is this. There are what we call regulated states and not regulated Ooh, states. Okay. So regulated states, three of the most common ones known would be Florida, Texas, and New York. Forever and ever, New York City has had a guideline for mold. And the way that guideline was was developed was very interesting, and I won't go into it, but it's as simple as uh, a thought process of a man who was standing in his shower the morning that they were going to finalize the guidelines for New York City. He had an idea, and so that's what they went with, and that's the, 20, the 10 square foot rule. Basically, he looked up, I could do that, because he saw the mold in his own shower, and that's what they decided. So... That's the standard for New York City. So to find that 10 square feet rule, what is that? So two foot by five foot area of mold that you might see that the homeowner should be able to remediate that himself oh. is the idea. Oh my. That, that gets really deep. There's all kinds of facets that we <laughs> right. won't go there. We're not going but there. But that's, that's how that came to be. Okay. That's probably 20, 25 years old. So mm -hmm. today, who cares? I mean, really, it's old. Right. I mean, we know a lot more since Antiquated, then. sure. Okay, so anyway, so we have Texas, Florida, um, New York, we'll talk about. New York State then instituted guidelines eventually, and they're regulating. So in some of these states, and there's many more, um, you have to have certain licensure or permission from the state certification in order to do the investigation. In most of the states, you cannot investigate and remediate because there's this thought that it's a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. It can be, but if you're an ethically based company, 
with a good moral foundation, you can do both things. Yeah. We used to. Right. We know others who do, and they're the best ones you can have if they're ethically based. Totally. Um, what happens in these regulated states then is typically when they make the regulations, the standard of care usually goes down, and I can see it just watching Facebook posts. Mm -hmm. But the standard of care goes down, and the success, uh, the success ratio of jobs that are done for people goes down also in the regulated states. So government doesn't fix everyone's problem. And then where the whole idea of the third party that people need to understand, this is important for all of this piece, mm -hmm. is if they think their inspectors don't know who the remediators are in their area, they're wrong. Right. And I don't care what industry they're that in is. Yeah. In every industry, they know each other. Yeah. They either get along, they like each other, or they don't like each other. It's one of the three. Again, ethically, it matters. So ethically, I can inspect what what would be a remediator that I would recommend um, pretty continually because he's one of the top ones in the country. And I don't have to worry about what he's doing while he's doing it because he'll just do the right thing. Right. I'll go check all the work when he's done. And it's very simple because he's done what he's supposed to do. If there's something that was missed or what was obvious, just like when I was doing it, it's the same same thing. I'll still chew on him and I'll still get after him mm -hmm. for it. Right. Because number one, yeah, I, I really appreciate what he's doing, but we don't get a pass just because of that. So important. And it was the same thing when we did remediation or restoration. We always had a, a, a double, tri triple check on yeah. people in our jobs. So when we clean up a room, there was always two or three other people that checked that work. Yes. And it wasn't to say we got you. It was to say we helped you. 100%. We're all in a team. Checks and balances. Yep. We're all in a team together. We're looking for the same thing. So that, that part has to be known first about that whole regulated versus non-regulated. Yeah. So anyone in Texas, Florida, New York, some of what I'm going to talk about really isn't technically available to them. And if I go to one of those states, we would have to figure out what that would look like because I actually don't plan to get certified or approved by those states because what they're doing is wrong. Right. It's not the helpful thing, but I could potentially go and conduct a water intrusion inspection mm -hmm. for a person. See? Yeah. So, so there's that piece for some of these people. Good to know. So getting into what should people do or how should they test. Right. Just had a conversation with somebody on the way here. Um, and he, he had ordered four Petri dishes, which is pretty classic of people to do. And he set those out and they grew some things, but he didn't send them to a lab for analysis. So he said, so what did that tell you? Well, there's mold and it seems like it keeps growing. I said, well, it's, it's a food agar that grows mold. So once the mold is on there, it will keep growing. Right. Yeah. So I said, yeah. did you get it analyzed? He said, no. I said, okay. I said, have you ever heard about ERMI? He said, no. I said, good. I don't want you to. <laughs> right. Because there's problems with ERMI. Um, but I said, here's what I do with people. I used to be against the Petri dish. I'm actually okay with it now because it's, it's an inexpensive way to find out a lot of information. Okay. And that would be, if you're going to spend $350 for an ERMI, you could just as well go to a company like Immunolytics and buy 10 Petri dishes with the lab analysis, so about $30 or $35 a piece. Okay. So when you get done sampling, you follow their instructions perfectly, yes. send them back to their lab. Okay. They'll analyze and they'll give you a report back of what actually grew on those those dishes. All right. By the way, for, the, for our listeners, we'll put all of this in the show notes, like yeah. the, the link to that lab and how to do yeah. those things. So, so there is a acceptable at-home application through the Petri dish. To me, there can be. Collection. 
and then analysis, which is obviously the important part. And and if there's some amount of critical thinking by the by the homeowner who's doing it, right. to not just do it because somebody told them to do it and some number's going to come back and tell them something, yeah. but they have, they have to think about this a little bit, about why did they put the sample where they put it, and then when it came back, what it meant, comparing it to the other samples. And here's the reason. Mm. When they do ERMI, they get a Swiffer, typically now, which is not ERMI. Swiffer is something that they used to get what they call ERMI, but it isn't how ERMI was originally done. it was a vacuum cleaner originally. like It was a vacuum cartridge. Cartridge. Every single vacuum cartridge was, was exactly like the other vacuum cartridge. So it was like a 5 inch nut. Every nut is exactly like the other one because mm -hmm. they all work on a bolt. Mm -hmm. The vacuum cartridges were the same. The little, the little capture filter inside was exactly the same size. Mm -hmm. You measure out 18 square feet in two different areas. You vacuum for five minutes. Every sample was precisely the same. Yeah, where now you take a Swiffer, and hopefully you do it for one foot, and don't go backwards, and all of the things that can... And who knows where you Swift it at? Right. And what does it mean, and where did all that dust come from? Yeah, I think it's important. You talked about the location of the Petri dish, because like if I go, hey, I'm going to put it on this wall, which is the wall opposite of my washer and dryer, like you, what you said is like, why intuitively did you choose there? Because maybe there's part of your gut that says, I'm, I'm suspect, In, yep. innately I'm suspect of what could be there. Yep. I think that's really important to understand that. So with these, think about it. If you order 10, it's the same cost as doing one ERMI. Okay? So now you get oh. 10 of these dishes. Yeah. So put one outside, because everyone likes the outside control sample. What's right. outside What's is outside? it impacting me? Yep. Which is like comparing a bicycle to a Harley Davidson motorcycle. They're two completely different things. Right. And the direct comparison shouldn't mostly be made. Okay. Um, but you take these 10 dishes, and now you can determine 10 different areas in the house right. to get a snapshot in time of what was going on okay. at that point. Send those 10 off. And if you did it from like a lower level, from a main level and an upper level, mm -hmm. you have like three levels of the home that now if you had kind of three Petri dishes, you could say, mm -hmm. well, the upper level was mostly like this. The main level was less and the lower level had completely different things in it. You can now start making contrasts and comparisons right. between those Petri dishes if yeah. you get the lab analysis. Mm -hmm. If you're going to look at it and you can tell me what it is, I'll probably hire you for about a quarter million dollars a year to come <laughs> work with me. So, yeah. so that's that piece in comparison to an ERMI. And I think it can have its value for that initial assessment to say, you know what? We definitely have a bigger problem in our lower level, and it's completely different than the other two. And there's some things in the other two levels, but then what people have to remember is just because a lab report reports a certain thing about the air or about a surface in one room, yeah. it doesn't mean the problem came from that 100%. room. Right. So the air in this room could be coming from a room completely on the other side of the house. No doubt about it. And that is really big for people to understand. So there's obviously some intelligence that's required to... to not analyze, but but interpret that information. Yep. Yep. Do they? Does that? What is the name of that company again? So Immunolytics is one one Immunolytics. example. Immunolytics. If there's other ones, let us know. Um, do they give some like, like you had said, like in our previous podcast, you said you know, um, monitor, remediate. Like, do they give some like, hey, by the way, you're they'll, gonna. They'll give guidance and they'll give you an idea of what what the different types of mold that show up, kind of their characteristics. Okay. But because they didn't have eyes on the property, they right. can't really interpret it. Interesting. In order to sample and and give a, a plan, 
there has to be some sort of a, a visual okay. interpretation of what's going on. So if, like the person I just talked to on the way here, told me a lot of information about a very unique structure that he's in, um, in a different state, and, and I could see it, I could picture it, but in the end, when he asked some of the, the pointed questions, I said, you know, without me actually seeing how some of these assemblies are put together, okay. I really can't tell you exactly what, hmm. the, what the risk might be. So what I hear, what I hear is like again, if there's some place that you can't go, there could be petri dish, but then the more important thing is the eyes on this. So would you like have him walk around and do like a FaceTime or a potentially? Zoom? And so there could be some not having Dean necessarily sitting there and have that available. So so okay, so this hypothetical family we're talking about in Louisiana who probably don't have a basement because of things. But we also talked about this whole conversation of slab on grade with oh, duck yeah. work underneath. Oh yeah, man, that one got me earlier. When we talked about that. Um, what would be so they get these petri dishes back? There are some things that would say they're they're suspect, um, and they don't. Let's say you're not accessible. What would you tell them to do? Like who did? They, what's their next call? Or and maybe it is you. Um, what what is their next plan of action? What is their next action step? So if, if I'm involved, the first thing I'm looking to see is who do I know who might be close to them okay, um, or who might be able to travel to them to help them. Okay. Again, we have the regulated versus non-regulated, right. and that can throw a monkey wrench into it. Mm -hmm. um, but we are really at a point in the industry, unfortunately, that 20-some years have gone by since the big black mold scare of the home in Texas that took place. Right that our industry hasn't moved from its contractor mentality into more of a professional mentality. Yeah, we talked about that. And we have thousands of people who have been trained to a consensus-based model. And I've got one very good friend who sits on the board for one of these. And he doesn't think like the consensus model does. He actually is a really good, clear thinker. Mm -hmm. He actually uses an Instascope also. Um, so they're not... Everyone on the board doesn't think like everyone on the board, but on the consensus-based model, it's kind of the lowest common denominator. And what all I can tell you is there might be a jewel in the rough from one area to another where one of those trained companies right. might have something that taught them more about doing the better or best thing. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they don't exist there. In the area that I last trained in, there's very, very few of us because the training was more expensive more extensive right. and took longer to get through and very few people did that right. work. And I want to circle back. I want to so if the person says all you need is a an ozone generator or a fog it fogger, or spray it. Spray it. Run, run, don't walk because it will not address the source. It's barely a band-aid. And in fact, like with with any of those three processes, you could you could negatively impact your health even more. Oh my word. Which is what happened with this one who I was just on the phone with. They had done some work in spraying some uh, materials to to remove the mold staining from the framing, which isn't that's that's a last step in a process if you want to do that. You've already you've already done your sanding and, and removed as much material as you can. And he said he got violently sick from that. Oh my word. So what percent of the approach of the world out there of mold is i mean is it like the lion's share 80 plus percent or like yeah we'll just 
fog it or yes. ozone it or spray it? Yes. And even the ones who are trained under the consensus model, the IICRC is, is the main one. Okay. Um, even though IICRC will tell you explicitly you can't spray to remediate mold alone, mm -hmm. there's still provisions that allow for spraying of antimicrobials and things like that to take okay. place. The easy peasy way for everyone to do it is to spray fog or ozone. And so they'll they'll get the certification to put on their shoulder patch mm -hmm. and on their van, but then they may not follow through on the protocol. Man, okay. So, so it's, it's an integrity ethic thing again. Right, right. And and respectfully, the work that you do is a lot harder and than just no. brain fogging or ozoning. No, in a sense. Okay. Yeah, so it's labor intensive for part of it, but it's actually a less is more model yeah. than the way we were doing it up to the point where we were doing remediation as a company mm -hmm. and the way that this other remediator that I um, recommend regularly, it's a less is more approach. Okay. And, and sometimes in one category, like in the ICRC model, there's a measurement to, to delineate this room from this room. And then the measurement will tell you, well, for this many cubic feet, you should have this many air scrubbers or HEPA devices in a room. And in this area over here where you're working, you should have this many. Right. And the best of us who do what we do will double, triple, quadruple the amount of air scrubbers we'll put in any home That's or building. Right. Because why wouldn't you? They're cheap to own. 100%. They're actually cheap to run. You don't have to replace the HEPA filter after every job. That's the magic. Okay. Until we get down to the 0.5 and 0.33, we don't know what else is happening. But HEPA right now is the standard and it's really good until we get to ALPA, which goes even smaller. We're not there yet. Um, but I've seen remarkable um, job results mm -hmm. from, from just doing that one thing. And then we can do wet fogging, but here's the difference. Mm -hmm. We don't fog to kill. Most people fog to kill. Mm -hmm. We can use a soapy solution or two other products that are on the market that mm -hmm. are brand name products. Right. You put it into a wet fogger. You fog it into the air in the very beginning of a remediation or at the end. Yeah. It makes it like a hazy room. And what it does is any particles in the air get attracted to those droplets. And they fall to the ground and you have a vacuum. All the stuff that's now laying on the ground, you can't see it, but it's there. That's wild. And it makes a very, very clean room. That's awesome. So you can fog, but it has to be for that reason, not to kill it. All right, Dean. So people are going to jump on Dr. Google and figure out. We've talked about the Ermi test. We've talked about some of the Petri dish work. And then they're going to see this little test called a Hertzme test. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay, so Hertzme is related directly to Ermi. Okay. So it's going to be the same methodology. It's just going to give you less information. Wonderful. So here's my real quick commercial on Ermi and Hertzme. For what Ermi was and what Hertzme can give you, they're remarkable. I mean, they, they, they can do what they can do. Right. So with that said, Ermi is a 2006 sampling event. It sampled 1,200 homes across the United States. Uh, considering 36 types of molds, they listed out 36 molds. We think these are the problematic molds. That was in 2005 probably okay. or four. They were, they were developing that. 2006, they say, we're going to test for these 36 specific kinds of mold. And it's 2022, and we're still testing for the same exact 36 kinds. And since 2014, when I started doing this side of the business, I see other types of mold that impact people when these other ones don't even show up. Right. And so, number one, it's missing the mark. It's very old. It needs to be updated. And EPA, who was the development agency behind it, says... 
This should not be used for building assessments, even to this day. So why are we doing it? Not that I believe everything the government tells us, right, right. but this one makes sense. Okay. It shouldn't be. Yeah. Secondly, the scoring that you get on ERMI or hurts me relates back to the first 1,200 homes, not your home. It's the first 1,200 homes that it's comparing your information to, and that's what your score is. They can be high, low. Um, I've got a, a, a PhD. He's probably the, the top sampling guy in the world. He's phenomenal. And he has run a little class that says why a low ERMI or Hertz mean score means you have a worse mold problem than if you have a high one. Did you say that in the podcast before? And so there's problems with this. And, and it, it's selling a type of promise to people that just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It sells a panic more than it sells a plan. Right. And what happens is you get a score, you panic, out. Yeah. or you get a score, and yeah. then you We're don't good. and you don't deal with a problem that yeah. you do have. Oh, we tested for that. We're good. <laughs> yeah. And you spent a lot of money, so you're going to believe in yourself because yeah. you spent the money. Yeah. And when you get all done, you, you have this information that caused you to some type of action or inaction that probably didn't benefit you. Mm. The one thing I will say about either one of them is, and what I'll do for people when I do look at them, I'll say, okay, which mold showed up? Yeah. Of the list, which ones actually showed up? I don't care what the score is. Tell me who they found. And what was the concentration? It might give me a little bit of an idea. Again, it was one snapshot in time about one particular moment in your home that is this big. Right. It's not about everything before necessarily or everything after. It's just such like the body and doing blood work and it's very and, much. and your test sucks because it's in cahoots with so and so and we have a better test yep. now, but it's more expensive. Like yep. it's crazy the correlations. Yep. So as long as you're running Ermi or Hurts Me, knowing what the pitfalls are, right. it can be beneficial for what it can tell you. Okay. But if you're just doing it because you're being told to and it's gonna give you an answer, it won't tell you where your problem is and it won't tell you how to fix it. Right. So why do we do it? So true that like what is the source like yep. we can put a band-aid on a bullet wound yep. Yet if we don't figure out where the bullets are coming from yep. we're not doing much good And the key is it always goes back to a moisture issue that has to be the starting point. Yeah, okay I, I, I think I have two questions that kind of wrap this thing up dude We could talk for we will talk again. I really appreciate you and your time and your heart. Okay, so um, We live in the Midwest it gets cold here and <clears throat> Uh, my patient says, hey, I, I, I get condensation on my window, which you just said is a, is a humidity handling. But then I get like that mold on my windowsill. What do they do about that? Because I just, you know, someone might say, I spray bleach on it or I take a Clorox wipe or I just wipe it up. Number one, what, what you're really saying that the, the, if we back up three steps and go back to the beginning of the runway is there's a issue with the rel handling relative humidity. Correct. In the house. Correct. So if that's the case, then who is the person that, like, is there some, like, understands air handling better? Are they typically pumping too much humidity through, like, an April air, or what are they doing? Right. So this gets more complicated than that, in that it could be a whole house humidifier, and people will like to over-humidify because maybe they feel better. Right. The problem, say, in the upper Midwest is when you have a 25-degree a day outside and the temperature's up here. Yeah. You can run your humidity, maybe your April air could be set at 25, maybe even 30% and you don't have a problem. But when the temperature goes down to five or zero, you actually need to take your whole house and you need to turn it down. You need to stay within about 10 points of what the outside is. Because if you try and overdo it, it's gonna to go to the weak points and it's gonna condensate. 
So wet always moves to dry. That's the concept. 100%. That's that's the principle. Yeah. So if you have a dry air mass and a wet air mass, if the wet air mass is on the inside and the dry one's on the outside, the wet wants to get to where the dry is. Oh my gosh. If it's a building material, it's the same thing. Okay. That's why you have wicking. Okay, so that's one piece. So that's that's a whole house humidifier. Right, so then I got this newer house. How come I how come I don't have this thing that knows what the outside temperature is and changes the by setting on my April air? There's changes that should happen in the HVAC industry. Right. Because so that so you're telling me literally I have to go downstairs every single day in the winter and tweak that stupid knob. Correct. Unless Lovely. you bought the digital one that sits by your main thermostat. Yes. Or you're gonna we should probably upgrade because that would be easier. There's gotta be some kind of like a there's some engineer somewhere that should figure this out. Well, like, they have automatic controls, but it's not a consumer-friendly thing. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay, so, so that's one. So, okay, I hear that. Okay, so another one could be, let's just jump to a completely different piece. Yeah. If your concrete slab in your basement is breathing, which it does, Yeah. so if it hasn't had an admixture or a product like Radon Seal put into it to stop it from breathing, it allows air to come through it from the earth. Okay. That air can be dry or it can be moist. Okay. And so if, you're, if your ground is moist under your house, you can have air coming in through your slab into your house making humidity. If you're a house that runs your dryer for three, four hours a day, blowing air from the inside, conditioned air to the outside, and puts the house under negative, and your passive air or your air exchange can't bring back enough at one time, it'll just grab air from the concrete slab and it'll just start pulling from the earth. Oh my gosh. You're saying a house with nine kids and five kids runs the dryer for three hours a day at times? <laughs> and there's the wow. little segue there is you can actually buy a dryer now that has no duct so you don't have that problem anymore there's there's different things you can do to interesting. fix interesting but that can be another whole segment that your concrete walls and your slab could be damp part, and part of your respiratory system and letting and actually letting moist air into your house during the winter oh or the summer okay yeah wow so it can be so it can be the, the lungs of the home. It could be the structure of the home that's causing it. Or it could just be a bad window. Typically, is there, like, if your house is older than X, there's a good chance your concrete slab is breathing more than a house built after Y because of code or how they did things? Or that is way too much of a blanket would, statement. You would think that it should be, but it isn't <laughs> always. And from state to state, that will vary. Yeah, like leaded pipes, for example. We typically know if a house is built prior to 1976, right. there's a pretty good chance that there's right. some leaded pipes. Okay, so, wow, that's... that's uh, and I love the actionable items, right? Like, so for me, I know now that I need to be more mindful of yep. where that setting is. Yep. Um, okay, then the next question is the, the, the at-home person, what do they do about that strip on their windowsills because it's there? What, what is, what is the, yeah. How do you treat that? So it starts with keep it clean. Okay. And so that means microbially. You have to think smaller than what you can see. Right. At the very least, think about that dust you can see in the sunlight in the window in the morning type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you are once or twice a year HEPA vacuuming or just vacuuming, if you, if they're not contaminated, but HEPA vacuuming those ledges around windows, most people will go with a wet rag, not even damp. If they were going to wet clean, it should be a damp rag, not a wet one. It shouldn't be drippy wet. Right. It should be able to absorb. Okay. Um, but the mistake most people make is they use the, the damp rag to clean first. They should be vacuuming first. If it's a dry material... You put a brush with a thousand little fingers on it on the end of the hose and you agitate a little bit and you brush the window sills and the ledges. Sure. You remove nearly all of the contaminants, dust, anything that's there. Mold now doesn't have a food to grow on or eat. What's your top consumer HEPA vacuum cleaner? Uh, from a consumer standpoint, Mila. I, I, yeah. I test the exhaust when I see vacuums oh, that are... 
are HEPA or they're good vacuums or ones that I know could be. Yeah. I always test the exhaust in anyone's home. And always Mila is coming out with no problems. So there's a reason you're supposed to spend 800-ish bucks on a vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> Every <laughs> once in a while, sharks are pretty consistent. Dysons are not. Okay. Just the way it is. What, that's what I see. Yeah. So if you hop a vacuum those twice a year, you remove the food source for mold. Right. The fuel for mold is moisture, and that can be humidity over 60%, okay. condensation, things like that. Oh, my gosh. So if you keep it dry. But if you go to use bleach, typically, especially above a bathroom shower, people will bleach and try and get rid of the mold. Mm -hmm. Look, um, you'll typically get twice as much mold back because the bleach molecules are like a basketball and there are little little points where it's more like a BB where that bleach can't get into and mm -hmm. get to the roots of. Right. So I always explain to people that mold roots into things like this and the roots are sticking there. When you bleach it, it's like you mow it, but the plant disappears on top, but the roots are still underneath. 100%. And so then when you leave the dead material on top for it to grow back onto, it's got its food and potentially moisture and the roots are still here, it'll grow back and usually it gets bigger. So no bleach. Don't don't use bleach. Oh bleach is great for C. diff, for C. difficile, right. by, you know, the bacteria. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's great fine. for sewage. There yep. you have it. Well, Dean, I tell you what, man, this has been an amazing conversation. And I know there's going to be a lot of people with a lot of questions inside of this. So mm -hmm. how do people find you? Uh, so the easiest way to find us is at our website, which is procaremn.com. Okay. So procare uh, is P-R-O-C-A-R-E. MN, like the abbreviation for Minnesota. Minnesota. That's the best way to interface okay. with, with who we are. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. And, and, and little uh, both visionaries talking here, I, we, you and I had some amazing conversation before we even started today about even trying to create education materials, yeah. the, the ability to empower people yeah. literally around the world, because this is not just a Midwest United States right. issue. This is a, you know, I, I believe um, in talking to you that this is, this could be almost like, we talk about the word pandemic, but like, like there's a, there's a large percentage of homes that people are, are being poisoned by yeah. and, and they're seeking doctors for all, with all yeah. these symptoms and all these things. And the reality is they're walking right back into the poison pit yeah. and reinfecting themselves. And, yeah. and that's, that's a huge conviction on your soul. Yep. No doubt about that. So, um, Dean, I'm grateful. We're, we will cross paths again. Yeah. Hopefully Great. soon, my friend. And, all right, you guys. So there you have it. So check out Dean uh, at his website. Um, I, I'm going to have Dean to my house, so I'll probably do a, I'll probably do a podcast after uh, after Dean comes up. Maybe we'll have to bring the video crew to the house. That'd be kind of fun. Oh, there you go. That could be a good time. So, all right, you guys. Dr. Greg here with Dean with Procare Services of Minnesota. Thanks for your time. <laughs>